to go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Judges. And we're going to be giving an overview tonight uh, in the book of Judges. Uh, I've, enjoyed, I've enjoyed looking at these different studies through these books and just sort of uh, drawing some principles from these books out that will help us in a practical manner. And then finding out a little bit about what each book is about. And so we're looking at the book of Judges tonight. For those of you that are keeping score, there's 21 chapters, 618 verses, 18,976 words. And you can count those tonight and verify uh, if that's accurate, Canyon. Count, count those verses and make sure I have every number right. I'm just kidding you. And uh, Kenyon's my assistant. He helps me out with things like that. But anyhow, uh, yeah, so, so I love the book of Judges. I, I want to I start out. I'm going to read a couple of verses. Then I want you to hop with me. I want you to move with me here just for the first couple of uh, minutes here. Then we'll pray and get right into our study. Notice Judges chapter 1, verse 1. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us? against the Canaanites first to fight against them. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. Now look with me, if you will, in chapter 1, verse 21. All right, so let's see how God, here's what God said to him. Listen, I, the land is yours. Just take the land. Let's see how they did. Verse 21. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. Verse 27, Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shan and her towns. Um, and verse 28, and It came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute, and did not utterly drive them out. So they thought, wait a minute, why are we driving these people out? They can make money for us. We can do business with them. We can benefit from them being here. Look with me in verse 29. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites. Verse, 39, uh, verse 30. Neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. Verse 31. Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko. And I've been at Akko. Uh, 33, neither did Naphtali drive out uh, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. Uh, verse 34, and the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not suffer them to come down into the valley. And an angel of the Lord, chapter 2, verse 1, came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you go up out of Egypt and have brought you into the land which I swear to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? My word. What a question from God. I promised you. I told you. I would give you the land. I would defeat your enemies. It's yours just for the taking. Why? Why? Why have you done this? What a, what a staggering question. Father, help us today. Give us what we have need of. Speak to our hearts as only you can. 
And we'll thank you in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray these things. Amen. Now, the scope of the book of Judges um, covers a time period uh, in the nation of, of, of Israel from the death of Joshua to uh, just beyond the death of Samson. It takes its name, Judges, from the 12 men and the one woman who were raised up to deliver Israel uh, in a time of great deterioration uh, that followed the death of Joshua. Now, when you think of the word judge, you and I normally would think of a courtroom setting where litigation is taking place. There's a lot of legalese being talked, and, and there's, a, there's somebody there sitting in a robe, and they are passing judgment. They're, they're determining outcomes of, of litigation and trials and, 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 and things like that, and he or her has a gavel in their hand, and they are the final authority on legal issues. But that's not what this is about. When, when these people are called judges, they are rather what, what we would call uh, a warrior leader. They were somebody that was intended to lead and at times had to have the spirit of a warrior in order to deliver Israel uh, <clears throat> from their enemies, their oppressors. But wait a minute, that was the only thing a judge was to do. A judge was to lead the people back to God. So it's not just what I'm freeing you from, it's what I am freeing you to. And so they weren't just delivered from their oppressors, they were delivered uh, into what hopefully would be a, a, a better uh, relationship with the Lord. Now, perhaps they did settle some disputes along the way. I, I'm, I'm certain that was probably it, but that, I'm just saying that's not their primary job. The book of Judges, from cover to cover, uh, deals with about 300 years. And I, I want that to sink in for a moment, because what we're dealing with here is we're dealing with three centuries of misery. I mean, really, honestly, the book of Judges is three centuries of failure. It's three, can you imagine that? That's longer than America has been a nation. So you're going from cover to cover in, in Judges, and, and you're covering a span of three centuries, and the, and the, the hallmark of those three centuries, year after year, decade after decade, was failure upon failure upon failure upon failure, rebellion, disappointment. I mean, ab absolute a deterioration of the nation in every, listen, in every possible category, Israel was in a state of deterioration. Now, there were some smatterings in between where, you know, Shamgar grabs an ox goad and, and, and starts dealing with the problem at hand. But, but if you think about those periods, like we're studying, we're studying Samson, okay? So, uh, which by the way, Samson did not do his job. He did not complete the task that was given to him. But his time over Israel was only 20 years. So you're talking about 20 years out of 300. So, so the, the time periods when there was even a little bit of um, respite from the oppression of the people that, that, that were uh, persecuting the, the children of God, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a lot of time. And, uh, and even, even with that, the, the deterioration uh, continued. Now, the first thing I want us to do that I think is significant in, in, as this book opens up is I want us to notice, first of all, I want you to notice the continuing work, okay? 
Now, this is the exact same point. I worded it differently. But this is the exact same point that we started with in our study of the book of Joshua, because when Joshua opens up, in fact, look with me, if you want to, in Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 1. Everybody just jump back. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Watch this. Now, after the death of Moses, servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. What's the next word? Go. Okay, here, here's what God's saying. Now, look. Listen. Moses is gone. Joshua, Moses is gone. God's not being, remember we said last week, God, God isn't being cold and unfeeling here. He's bringing about a factual thing. And, and, and here's what it tells me about God. Even though this was a crisis for the nation of Israel, it wasn't a crisis for the God of Israel. Okay, so so God says to God says to 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 Israel in, in Joshua, He said, now, "Now, now here's the deal: Moses is dead, and it's time for you to go." What does that mean? That means that even though the man of God has died, even though the worker has died, the work continues. Even though the man of God has died, the plan of God has not ceased. And so he says to them, Moses is dead, you go. Now jump with me to Judges chapter 1. Would you do that? Because we're talking about the continuing, notice the continuing work. Judges chapter 1, verse 1. Wow. <laughs> right off the bat. Now after the death of who? All right, now look at me. Listen to me. Guess what happened to, to, to Moses? Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. He died. Now all of a sudden, here we are, here we are, and we're, we're, we're in the first verse of, of the book of Judges, and guess what happens to Joshua? He died. And guess what's going to happen to me and you? We're going to die. If Jesus doesn't come back, we're going to die. There's going to come a time when it's going to be after the death of Dean, okay? And after the death of, I mean, that, if we live long enough, we'll live out our years. And so here we are, here we are, Moses has died, and God said, keep going. And, and now, now we're, we're, we're in Judges chapter 1, right in Judges chapter 1 and verse 1, watch. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? Now watch this. And the Lord said unto Joshua, uh, said, Judah shall what? Go. Okay, so, so, so here's that key word. All right, here's the key word. Moses died, go. Okay. Joshua has died, go. And so the, 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 the work of God does not stop when the man of God is gone or the worker of God is gone. The work of God continues. And, and let me just let me make one more note and then we're going to go to our next point because I know we were on this note last week. But this is important to me. It's important, it, it's important that, that we realize that, that um, God doesn't want us paralyzed by the crisis of our life and the transitions that we all face, the things that happen to us, if Satan would have his way with them, it would stop us in our tracks and we would never go f any further for God and we would get to a stopping point in our life. God said this, it, it doesn't matter who's on the scene, I still have a plan. If the man's not there, the plan still is. And I'll find somebody to carry the plan out. 
Uh, and so the things that shake us don't shake God. He's always had a man. He's always had a plan. He always will. And you can take that to the bank. God's plan doesn't stop uh, because uh, of a tragedy that may take place in the life of a man. I've sat, if I could say it this way, in the front row seat as I grew up in one of the great errors of Bible preachers, and I've watched man after man that had iconic places around this nation and, and were preachers that, that, that thundered out the Word of God, and I've watched them... I've watched them for some reason or another slip into eternity and I just wondered how in the world do you go on without that type of leadership and that type of an iconic personality and do you know what? Here we are all these years later and you know what's happening? The work of God's continuing because the work of God isn't contingent. It does not hinge upon any one singular man. And that's a great thing for us to learn. The second thing I want you to notice is not just the continuing work. I want you to notice the contrast, okay? Now, we talked about the book of Joshua, and we read some in the book of, of, of uh, in, in, in that handful of verses where they failed to do what they were told to do. And, and if you read Joshua, it's a book of victory. If you read Judges, it's a book of defeat. And Joshua, there's a motivation to... To fight, we're going to take the land. In the book of Judges, they're satisfied with the status quo. Listen to me carefully. The people in the book of Judges were absolutely happy to simply maintain. They ran a maintenance ministry rather than a going out and, 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 and striving to move forward for God. They were satisfied to sit down and just do basically nothing uh, for God. And so there's a, there's a difference in their motivation. In Joshua, people are mobilized. In Judges, people are, are settled. In Joshua, there's a unity and a determination. In Judges, there's a disunity. And if you read the book, listen to me, there's absolute anarchy. There's anarchy. It reigns from the beginning, especially as you begin to get into the second and third chapters Anarchy becomes, listen, the lack of leadership spiritually that is there for the children of Israel turns into absolute anarchy. There's nobody that's willing to step up to the plate and, and Joshua's dead and gone and the generation that, are, that were with him is dead and gone and now suddenly what happens is anarchy takes over the nation. In the book of Joshua, there's, there's a patriotism and, and a national zeal. Uh, and in the book of Judges, there's a national indifference. They are indifferent. Um, uh, spiritually as a nation, they don't care about God, the Word of God, or, or the way that their life is not aligning. In Joshua, God promised them good success and yet, and that is if they would simply obey His Word, but in Judges, all you see is nothing but failure. So there's a great contrast. The work continues. God, God's entire purpose is for this work to continue on. Joshua's gone, but I'm going to give you the land. Joshua's gone, but I'm going to bless you. Joshua's gone, but every... You know what he said to Joshua in chapter 1 of the book of Joshua? He said, every promise I made to Moses, I reiterate to you. The same... I'm not playing favorites. I will do for you exactly what I promised to do for Moses. In Judges chapter 1, Lord, what do we do? Joshua's dead. Go. No, no, go. 
Send Judah. I, look, my promise is the land's yours. I'm not going to break my promise because Joshua is, is in the grave. No, no, no. I'm going to do for you exactly what I promised to do for you. And so the promise of God and the plan of God was still there, but the, the contrast was in the heart and the desire and the willingness of the, of the people of God. Third of all, I want you to notice the cause, okay? Notice the cause. Now watch this. Look in chapter 2. Everybody jump with me, chapter 2. So, so, so what, what happened with this? Notice, notice the cause. Now, what did we talk about? We talked about the deterioration, right? Right? Are you with me? Everybody with me? Okay, I'm looking for nodding heads. Not the kind that, that, that's trying to headbutt the table. But, but, but look at me. So, so here we are. The, the, the nation is deteriorating. Okay, so the work is supposed to continue. There's a deep contrast, though, between, between the, the people, Israel and Judges, and Israel and Joshua. Okay, now wait a minute. Well, preacher, why is that? It must be because Joshua died. Well, no, not really. Because God said, no, I'll do for, I'll do for Joshua what I promised to do for Moses. And then he said, I'll do for you what I promised to do for Joshua. So my promises don't hinge on a man. My promises are eternal. Now watch this. So what is the cause of the deterioration? Look with me in chapter 2, verse number 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Look, look, look. Is everybody there? Chapter 2, verse 7. All right, get your pen out. Get your pen out. You ought to underline this. Look at it. And the people served the Lord, how long? All the days of Joshua. Wait a minute. That's not all. Watch this. And all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. So you know what? Look, dude, that's, it's looking good. I mean, I mean, this is good. We're in chapter 2, verse 7. And he's saying to us, listen to me, as long as Joshua was alive, hey, son, they serving the Lord. And not only that, even after Joshua died, his, his, his buddies, his assistants, the men that served God with him, they made sure that Israel stayed on track. And so all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived him, um, they, they served the Lord because they had seen the great works of the Lord and they continued to lead the people for God. Well, that's, that's good. That's a great scenario. I mean, you, you can't get any better than that right there. Joshua did his job. The guys that outlived him did their job. So then why? Why in the world was the children of Israel in such a pathetic spiritual state? Why, why is it that they went through the seven cycles? Seven cycles of sin. And here's, here's, the, here's the cycles. Are you ready? Here's the seven cycles. First of all, uh, the people sin against God, okay? Second of all, because of their sin, they're placed in bondage. And by the way, can I tell you this? Sin always leads to some kind of bondage. It could be bondage to pornography, bondage to alcohol. Listen, sin is addicting, no, doesn't matter, but sin always leads to bondage. If you are giving your life to a sin, you become, the Bible says in Romans, a servant to that sin, you become in bondage to that sin, okay? So, so the people sin. Second of all, the people go into bondage because of that sin. Third of all, the people cry out to God. That's the third step in the cycle. The fourth step in the cycle is that he sends a judge to deliver them. 
So they're out of bondage now, enjoying the blessings of God again. And what do they do later? They repeat the cycle. They sin again. Bondage again. They cry out again. Deliverance again. Blessing. Sin. Bondage. Crying. Deliverance. Blessing. Now look at me. Seven times they go through that. So if, 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 if chapter 2, verse 7, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and the elders that outlived him, then why in the world are these people, why are they over a 300-year period, why are they literally rotting on the vine, and, and, and why are they only glimpses of blessing, and why is it that they continually have the ignorance to fall back into that same cycle over and over and over and over again. Look in chapter 2, jump down from verse 7 to verse 10. And also all that generation, that's the generation of Joshua, were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Well, that's, that's staggering. No, no, Joshua, no, no. When Joshua's on the scene, things are good. When the guys that hung out with Joshua and followed the Lord, when they, when they outlived him, things were good. But when that generation died off, their failures became extraordinarily obvious. They failed, they failed to pass their passion and their dedication on to the following generation. When I was in high school, I ran track. I did other sports. Track wasn't my favorite, but it, it got you in with the guys. And so I, 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 did, the, I did the high hurdles and, and uh, did the high jump and some things like that. I ran, I ran all the relays. I did the 220 and the 440 and the 880 and the mile read. I did, I did all those things. enjoyed them. I'll never forget our coach getting us aside. And, and, and we, had, we had on our team the fastest guy in the city. I wasn't him. I, I, had a, I, I was next on the team, but, but he was faster than I was. Long, lanky guy. Billy Eaton, great, great runner. And there were some other guys at other schools that, that, that in particular were faster than we are. I remember, I remember one track meet for the, for the sort of the city title there at Groves High School. And they had a guy on their team that were faster than we are. And in fact, in fact their team could beat our team probably. Okay. But one of the things our coach said to us is simply this, I don't care who the fastest team is. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care who's in the best shape. You're going to be in shape because I'm going to see to it you're in shape. But, 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 but I, I may not be able to give you extra speed, but the one thing that I'm going to make you do right is I'm going to force you to pass the baton to the next guy flawlessly. And I want to tell you something. We had our running things we had to do, and we, our, man, we ran. I mean, our track at our school was a clay track, and, and uh, you know, it, so it, it wasn't perfectly conducive, but that's what we ran on, and he would time us, and, and we were, but the thing that he drilled us over and over is, is when you're running and you're reaching back, the guy behind you has to pop. It's not a handoff. 
he takes that and he taught us how to take it and snap our wrist with it. So when it hit the guy's hand in front of you, it stung and, and the hand immediately closed around it. And you stay stride to stride with him until he takes that baton and leaves you behind. And so it was the passing of the baton that was the most important thing. At, at that track meet, by the way, we, we won. We beat the team that was faster than we were, and we beat them solely upon the fact that, that we made cleaner hand. They struggled with some handoffs, and ours, over and over we had practiced, ours were clean, and we literally beat them by seconds because he taught us how to pass the baton. The problem, the problem with Joshua's generation is they knew the Lord and they had seen the great works that he had done, but they didn't pass the baton. They fumbled it. They, they, didn't, they didn't take the time. They didn't take the time to hand off to the guy that was coming behind them uh, the baton of their faith and their knowledge and their passion. So here's the deal. Whatever, whatever... Whatever the failures, okay, whatever the failures, and you read through Judges and there's a bunch of them, but whatever the failures of that following generation were, the seeds of failure were planted by the first generation that they did not take the time to instruct. And, and uh, it seems to me that there was little meaningful communication behind them. And I realized it was the choice whether they received that. And so some of them probably didn't want to hear it and weren't interested in it. But it seems to me a breakdown in some sort of communication between them. Now, now the collapse of a civilized people always happens this way. Okay. Here's how it happens. Religious apostasy. It's where it always begins. Always. It always begins with religious apostasy. Apostasy. Then, then there is political disorganization. I don't, care, I, don't, I don't care how organized you are politically. When you have spiritual apostasy, it will wreck your political system because you, you, you leave the Word of God behind. That's why you can't mention Christ in our public schools anymore. And in our halls of law, the Word of God is mocked. Why is it? Because of spiritual apostasy. It leads to political disorganization, and political disorganization always leads to social chaos and crime. Now, when you look, at, when you look here in the book of Judges, you're going to, you're going to find the apostasy of, of, of Israel, the departing from the faith of the children of Israel, and it leads to absolute political disorganization, and their land becomes filled with social chaos. I mean, they're worshiping other gods. They're offering their children to other gods. They're passing their kids through the fire. Good night. These are supposed to be sane, civilized Christian people, and they're acting pagan and barbaric. That always happens. Wait a minute. It always happens. And you'll find this out too. You'll find that their land becomes filled with crime. Just absolutely filled, <clears throat> filled with crime. Look, can I just say this, that a nation is, 
is not lost at the ballot box. It's lost in the church house. It just is. I think there are 46 parties in the nation of Israel, if I remember correctly, in the Knesset. We have two, basic. And may I say that to the inner core, they're both corrupt. And can I say that we wouldn't be where we were today, morally, in our nation, if there, there, if there was not a cooperation between the two parties? It's always, it's, it's always that way. I mean, if you're, if you're hanging your hat on a political party, you, 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 you're going to lose your hat. Because the answer, the answer is not in a political party. That's not where it begins. We have, to, we have to get our nation back where it belongs spiritually. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it, begin, uh, if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them uh, be that obey not the gospel of God? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. I mean, this is, this is, where, this is where judgment begins. This, we have to question ourselves. We have some answers we have to get and we have to align ourselves with, 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 with the Word of God. So, so watch me now. Everybody with me? So, so for a nation to go down, it starts with spiritual apostasy, political disorganization, social chaos. Okay, so that's boom, boom, boom. Okay, so if I want to stay away from political disorganization and social chaos, what do I have to do? I have to somehow prevent spiritual apostasy. And this is how that always happens. How do you get to spiritual apostasy? Okay, it's in, the book of, it's in the book of Judges. Read it. First of all, there's toleration. That's the first step towards spiritual apostasy. There's, there, there is toleration. It's a toleration of things that were not in harmony with the holiness of God. Wait a minute. They settled for a coexistence with sin. And boy, is it not, is it not alarming today that one of the huge words is toleration? And if you're not tolerant of every blooming thing they want to throw down the pike, then you're considered a bigot and you're considered, uh, man, you're, you're, you're all, you know, you've got all kinds of phobia and all this kind of, and, and it's, not, it's not their problem, it's your problem. If you won't tolerate the wickedness and the godless vileness that they want to bring into our nation, then, then you're not tolerant. Well, you're dead right I'm not tolerant. Yeah, there's some things we ought not be. Listen to me. If you put me in a room, if you put me in a room, and and I'm a South Georgia boy, and I hear something, I know exactly what it is. That's a rattlesnake. Can I help you with this? I'm not going to be tolerant. Okay, I'm going to find a hoe, and he's going to have a split personality. I don't. I look. I don't coexist with rattlesnakes. Okay. Now that may offend some people, but you can have all the pets you want to. I don't listen to me. You have a pet boa. I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to coexist with a boa. Okay. I'm just not doing it. I don't care. He's not going to cuddle up with me. And and so the reality of the matter is, they want us to tolerate with things that are dangerous and destructive. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Read Gibbons, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, and you'll find some things we ought not be tolerant of as a as as a as a uh, civilized nation. So the first thing is toleration. Watch this. What that what is what does toleration lead to? The second step is admiration, because what happens is when you tolerate things that aren't 
that, that aren't consistent and they aren't in harmony with the holiness of God, what happens is once you coexist with them for a while, you begin to admire them. You, you know what? It, it, they're not really that bad. You, you know, they're not boiling Christians, you know, for supper. So it's, it's, not, it's, it's not really that bad. And, and so they begin to see, listen, they begin to see qualities in rebellious and degenerate people. And so they get talk shows. And they, and they, run, they run news outlets. And, and they become the louder voices in a world that at one, one time understood morality and decency, and yet their voice now becomes the loudest. And, and we begin to admire them and set them up as celebrities. And it sickens our culture. Toleration, admiration, conformity. So what happens after you tolerate something and you begin to admire it, then comes the time where you begin to conform to things that are out of harmony with the holiness of God. Wait a minute, wait a minute. And so what happens is we begin, wait, we begin to copy and paste their lifestyle into our world. Now, now look at me. Just, just check it out see if I'm right or wrong. Just, just check that out and see if I'm right or wrong. Because what's happening today in good families is that... Is, is, is that kids have got things on their wall. They've got posters on their wall. They've got people they look up to and people that they follow. And, 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 and they're all hooked into trends. And a lot of it is copy and paste garbage that should not be tolerated and should not be admired. But now the kids are dressing and acting and, and following in the footsteps of people that at one time would have repulsed our grandparents. Well, we're a modern world. No, we're a sick world. Well, we're progressive. Yeah, no, we're digressive. Yeah, we're not advancing. We're, 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 not, we're not climbing upward. We're sinking downward. And, and that's exactly what's happening. Look, let me give you a verse of Scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, And be not conformed to this world. See, what's the alternative of that? But be ye transformed by the renewing. You get your mind new again. By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So why is that verse there? It's, verse, it's, it's there for, for an absolute reason, because we have been called to be different from the world. All right. So well, the preacher, okay, who am I to be conformed to? All right, listen to this verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate, what, how, why, where, to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. So who are we to be conforming ourselves to? Here's what God said. When you're my child, when you are my child, my, 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 my destination, my choice destination for you is that you would become not more like the world, conform not, uh, be not conformed to this world. My, my, my chosen destination for you is that you would become conformed to the image of Jesus. So we're not, we're, not to be, we're not to be becoming more like the world. For Pete's sake, we're to be becoming more like Jesus. 
And so my question to you is, what, what, you know, what are you driving toward? What are, you, what, what are you trying to do? What's your goal? Are you agreeing with God that you want to become conformed to Christ or conformed to this world? We ought to ask ourselves that question and answer it honestly. And what things are we doing to be more like Jesus? Or what things have we done that make us more like the world? Now, fourth of all, I want you to notice the consequences, okay? Notice the consequences. So here's our question. All right, so the first generation, Joshua and his guys, they served God, they loved the Lord, they saw the works of God. So all the days of Joshua... And, and the guys that were with him, they served God. Israel stayed straight. But when they died off, they had failed to teach the next generation. They failed to pass on to them the baton. So what were the consequences of that failure? Okay. First of all, they blended with the world. Can, can I put it this way? They got lost in the woods. There was no light for their feet. No lamp on their path. So, so what happened to the children of Israel? Well, you couldn't find them. You couldn't tell who they were. They lost their identity. They lost their distinctives. They blended with the world. Jump with me to chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. All right, everybody there? Judges 3. Let's find out exactly what I'm talking about, what happened here. Judges 3 verse 5. And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites, and they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. Wow. So there's a consequence. Here's the consequence. I don't know. Where's Israel? I don't know. Can, can, can you pick out for me, can, can you pick out for me one of the children of God? No, they all look alike now. They all act alike now. They all hang at the same place. They all go to the same church. They all worship the same God. And it's not the God. Here, no, so, so what, happened, what happened to these people? They got lost in the woods. They got lost in the world. They blended with the world. Second thing that happened to them um, is, is, is that... Ultimately, uh, they entered into such a spiritual ignorance. So, so the second consequence is the cycle. So they got caught in the washing machine. They just, I mean, you talk about blind. You know, burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, <laughs> shame on me. Okay, really? I mean, so, so, so this happens to them over and over again, and, 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 and they, they kept going back into a bondage that God never intended for them. You know the sad thing to me, and I can say this about my life too, the sad thing for me is that, is that there, are times, there are times we miss God's blessings because we chart our own course. You ever tremble about going to heaven and God saying, Son, this is what I wanted to do. But you had it figured out, and you missed it. And, and, and so here, here are people that God said, I want to, I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to drive out. God said that. I will drive out your enemies before you. And then right there, boom, they didn't do it. And they just 
It's just a cycle. Now, I want to tell you something. I want you to look at me and listen to me carefully. The Christian life was never intended by God to be a cycle of failure, weeping, staggering, faltering, coming back up for air. Okay, I, I, think, I think I got a grip. Failure, weeping. That, that, God never intended that. God said, I want to give you the land. I want to bless you. But you've got to obey me. The third thing is that this ultimately it impacted. Okay, so, so here's the children of Israel. Okay, first thing they did, they got lost in the woods. They just, they looked like everybody else. Second thing, the second thing is they kept going through the same old, same old, same old, same old, same old. It was just a cycle of sin because they were spiritually ignorant because the generation before them hadn't taught them. The third thing that happened is that ultimately it impacted their entire culture. Now I want you to look with me. I'm going to show you two verses of Scripture. Judges chapter 17. Everybody move to Judges 17. Watch this. Judges chapter 17, verse number 6. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right where? In his own eyes. Now, now here's, here, here's fascinating. Okay, so, okay, so it was pretty bad. How does the book close out? Well, let's, let's, let's look at that. Go to chapter 21. Last verse in the book of Judges. Let's see how things wound up. Last verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So, there it is. It started out rotten and it ended up rotten. Because you're not going to start with rot and wind up unless there's a great reversal and they continue to do exactly what they were doing. And so what happened? Every man became a humanist in Israel. It was, don't think humanism is something that just was drummed up somewhere back down. No, no, they, they were humanists. Uh, Cain was a humanist, by the way. And, and so here they are. They're their own authority. They're their own God. They did what they thought fit them best. They got to choose their own pronouns. Okay? They got to decide uh, what the moral boundaries were and that there were none. And, and they reasoned away the commandments of God. And, and the nation just did that which was right in their own eyes. Notice, notice with me, would you... Uh, fifth of all, notice with me the compromise. Watch this. Judges chapter 3. Go back to Judges chapter 3. This is important. Judges chapter number 3. Verse 1. Now this is fascinating to me. This fascinating verse. Watch this. Judges 3, 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them. So now Israel's messed up so much, God's going to use hard times to prove them. Okay, he, he, He's fixing to bring difficulty into their life. Okay, You wouldn't do what I told you to do, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to leave them there, and they're going to be a thorn in your side, and they're going to prove whether or not you'll get serious for me or not. Watch this. Even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, that is, that is, you want to talk about a mouthful? 
It's unbelievable. You know what God, you know, you know what God is saying here? He, he's, he's saying, in, well, look in verse 2, only that the generation of the children of Israel might know to teach them war at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. So here's what God is saying to this generation. You know what your problem is? You didn't earn one single acre of land. You've got no blood, no sweat, no tears. There's not a gravestone with your family name on it. You have sat on your caboose while the generation before you brought you across Jordan and brought you into the land, and you're so sorry and lazy, you won't, you won't draw a sword, you won't pull a bow, you won't do anything. You want every single, you're entitled, you want everything handed to you. You're unwilling now to do what you're supposed to do and, 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 and the problem, they weren't battle-tested. They, they had invested absolutely nothing in the land where they were. They saw the enemy of God, the enemies of God as friends of theirs. Think about that. The enemies of God as friends of theirs, and they didn't realize that the friendship with the world, the friendship with the world was more fatal than its enmity. The love of the world for you is far more destructive than the world's, the world's hate for you. They chose coexistence over confrontation. They chose compromise over conviction. And they wondered what they would gain by going to war and never stopped to think what they would lose if they did not. What are we going to gain? Good night. What's all the fighting about? Let's just throw some tents down and, and settle in. They got what they wanted, but they lost what they already had. Isaiah 5.20, Woe to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And hello, hello, hello. That's exactly where we are today. Evil's called good, good's called evil. A man can declare himself a woman, and simply because he declares himself that way, he can swim for a major college team and break all the women's records. And the absolute blind idiocy, idiocy and the dege degenerate mentality of our nation sits back and cheers. And people actually argue with you that because he says so, it is so. No, he's a man. He's a man. I mean, it, we're losing our minds and in church, we're so scared to say anything because we're more concerned about money in the offering plate and people sitting in pews that the pillar and ground of the truth has stopped becoming and stopped being the pillar and the ground of the truth. And, and we're, afraid we're, gonna, we're afraid we're going to uh, uh, offend somebody. And now in Florida, they're battling over the right, no, no, to teach our kids, kindergartners, elementary school kids, the sexual perversion that they won't talk. And they're lying about the bill. You know what the bill is? It's a parental rights bill. And by the way, let me just make this statement. It should not be for elementary school. It should be slap dab all the way through high school. 
Nobody has a right to stand and teach my children. And they may view them as wards of the state, but they aren't wards of the state. They've been given to me by God, and nobody has a right. Listen, nobody has a right to stand and teach my children anything about sexual preferences or sexual education whatsoever. That's not their place. When I was a kid, I didn't know what my teachers did on the weekend. It was none of my business. And they weren't telling me. I don't, I don't, I don't know what they did. I mean, I have no idea. Because the classroom is not for that. Right. Reading, writing, and arithmetic, and more importantly, history, okay, is, is what should be taught. And, and, and look, at, look at me. People, listen to me. Listen to me. This is no time to lose our voice. When people come to church, they have to hear the truth. And, and I... I'm, I'm not to, I'm not to, and I'm, I am to speak the truth in love. Okay, we have to do that. I, I don't, I'm not looking for somebody that has all truth and they're just beating people over the heads and abrasive with it. But you can't say you love people if you withhold the truth from them. And yet the, the great vehicle for truth is love. It's more palatable when it's done in love. And we have to, con, we have to continue that. I, I want... Um, if people can't come to church and find two things, truth and love, truth and love, truth and love, truth and love, where in the world do you go to find that? You won't find it at the bar. You're certainly not going to find it on television. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness means simply rightness and moral virtue. So we've got to, we've got to, get, back, we've got to get back to that. And I am, I'm grateful for men and women in our nation who are in the political system and that are standing up for what's right. I'm thankful for, for Ron DeSantis and, and, and men like him that are not being rattled by all the, all the loud voices that are screaming out against him. Listen to me, we gotta take it back and just do what's right. Yeah. We gotta call perversion what it is. It's, no, no, that's, no, that's perversion. Yeah. That's an alternate. No, it's not alternate, it's perverted. It's just sickening. It's perversion. It doesn't, listen to me. It doesn't even make sense. It won't even pass a first grade science book. Right. It makes no sense whatsoever. Pure common sense teaches you that that's not how God designed people. And, and we need to, we've got to get back to it. Now, the book of Judges applies to us maybe in a way that some of the other books aren't quite as pointed. Uh, there's a parallelism is what I'm saying between our culture and, and the culture of the nation of Israel during the time of the judges. And, 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 and we're at a place to where um, people would convince us that the word grace means that, 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 that we're simply to sign a treaty with the world around us and not to get real hot under the collar about sin. And, and we were told for years, now come on, we were told for years by our conservative, our conservative party, don't, don't, don't deal with those issues, don't, don't, no, don't hammer on that. We got to talk to people about the economy. Well, we've talked to the people about the economy and our nation is an immoral mess. So we better stop listening to the we better stop listening to the voices. 
And we better, we better start being truthful and honest. And I, all I am is a voice. That's all you are is a voice. But that's exactly what Jesus said John the Baptist was. He was a voice. And so if we're not using our voices for what's right and for, 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 for standing up for, for the righteousness of God, then, then, then we're failing the test just like they failed the test. I want my grandkids to know where their papa stood. Uh, I, want there to, I want there to be, listen, I'm not trying to build the biggest church. I'm just trying to stay right with God. And I want the message from the pulpit of this church to be straight and true. We don't deal with every issue every time. But when the issue comes and it's time, we ought to deal with it straight as a gun barrel. And, and that's what we ought to do. Here's, here's, let me show you grace. Here's grace. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching them that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, they should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. So let me tell you what the grace of God will do. It'll teach you to deny worldliness. And so if we say we got grace, but we're worldly, no, that's not God's grace. That may be your grace, but it ain't God's grace. Because God's grace brings us to a point to where we have the courage and the grace to deny the pressures of the world and the things that are on us. Some preachers remind me of Neville Chamberlain after meeting with Hitler, came back, shot a peace sign and said, peace in our time, it's all good. Well, it wasn't all good. The whole world was rocked with a war. And let me just tell you, things aren't super good. And, and we have to remember that in our loving of people, there's things, if you love somebody, you've got to protect them. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said to him in, in the first letter, chapter 1, verse 18, he said, um, you, you know, um, I want you to war a good warfare. Why would he say that if there wasn't a war going on? There was then, there is now. In, in his second letter, he said to him in the second chapter, endure hardness. Well, I don't want I don't hardness. Man, I'm looking for the, I, I want comfy. <laughs> I want to be comfy. Man. I'm looking for a comfort zone. I want to, uh, don't, don't talk to me about hardness. I'm not, I'm not looking for hardness. I want an easy ministry. I want, I want, it, I want it to be all good. That's, that's our motto, all good. It's all good. How you doing? It's all good. Well, it's not always all good. There's hardness we have to, notice the word endure as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. He told him in the third chapter, right after that, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall, that's future emphatic, suffer persecution. What if we put a sign-up sheet and said, Hey, everybody, everybody that wants to suffer persecution, would you sign the sheet? <laughs> no, we don't want to do that. We... We don't want to stand out like a sore thumb and be persecuted for our faith. Okay? And, and I'm not saying we should sign up for that. But we certainly, I think, I think, I don't know, I may be wrong, but I sort of feel like, I sort of feel like that the Bible's trying to prepare us that it's not going to be all good. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 18, just would you let this soak in? If the world hate you, well, wait a minute. Why would the world hate me? I know. Why? Why? If the world hate you, then know this. It hated me before it ever hated you. 
See, I don't want the world to hate me because of my obstinate disposition. I can't stand that in Christians. I think a Christian ought to be the happiest guy on the job. I can, listen, heaven's our home. Well, I know things are bad here, but things aren't bad there. I got a heavenly father. I talk with him every day, every morning. <laughs> I read his word. He talks to me. It's good. That's all good. I like that song, Everything's All Right in My Father's House. I like that. But the reality is sometimes I'm going to be hated because of my position. It's the Bible that gives. You know where I got my position on, on uh, transgender stuff? The Word of God. You know where I get my position on alcohol? The Word of God. You know where I got my, my position on abortion? It's the Word of God. That's where I get it, right here in the book. So, so when I let this guide my life, sometimes because of my position, the world's going to hate me. And Jesus said, it's all right. They didn't hate Jesus because he went around with a grumpy face and scowled at people. You know why they hated him? His words. They hated his... No, he sat down and little kids ran and jumped on his lap. That's a pretty relaxed situation. He sat on a stump somewhere and a bunch of kids came and hopped up on his life. He obviously was, was not an obstinate, scowling individual. Kids were comfortable around him. They hated him. They crucified him because of his words. Marvel not, my brethren, 1 John 3.13, if the world hates you. Now here's where we are. We live in a world where Christian people and churches are literally falling over themselves. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. They are going out of their way to blend with the world. They want to get lost in the woods. They don't want anybody to be able to say, you're a Christian. So, let's don't do that. Let's, let's be true, okay? Let's pray and then we'll cut off the live stream and I, I want to say one other thing to you. Father, we love you. Thank you for love for us. Bless us, guide us, direct us. In Jesus' name, amen.